Uh, I'm still getting the hang of this because it's been a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I'm Reviewing Here, a podcast where I, Matthew Bussey, watch and review sight and sounds top greatest movies of all time. I am doing back-to-back episodes because I fucked up my last episode. I was a mess. I, I... I just, I can't, I, I, I'm still a mess. I still can't, like, speak English. I don't know what's going on with me. Yes, I was, uh, okay, and I'm not going to do this every episode, but just so you guys know, I took a big hiatus last year. Uh, I am going through Sight and Sound's top greatest movies of all time. They were unveiled in 2022. There's a lot of them. There's, like, over 260. Uh, I, this is episode 52, I think, so you do the math. But, um, yeah, I am very... I don't know if I'm excited to talk about today's movie. We sh- will see. We shall see how this will go. We will see how this shall go. Goes both ways. Uh, today, my friends, I'm talking about one of the most famous, considered to be one of the most famous Italian movies of all time by one of the most famous directors of all time. The movie is called L'Eclisse, or The Eclipse, but you call it L'Eclisse. Take a listen. So a little bit of context, I'll get into the movie. Uh, Le Clisse is considered to be part of a trilogy by this director. Michelangelo Antonioni is his name. Antonioni is a very, was a very, very famous uh, uh, director. He lived to be 94 years old. He made a ton of Italian movies. He made an English language, language movie called Blow Up that, like, if you read any film history book, it's mentioned there. Uh, Le Clisse is part of a trilogy, La Ventura, La Notte, and then Le Clisse. Uh, I saw La Ventura many, many, many years ago in college, because I'm very old, and uh, I don't know where I was going with that. And I remember being quite bored by it, I hate to say, because I love Italian movies. I love Italy. Never been there. Hoping to go this year, fingers crossed, but it costs a fortune. That's why I'm hoping that I'll just get money somehow. Uh, But... How do I describe Antonioni? Antonioni, again, um, critics absolutely revere him. They love him. Antonioni made the most like abstract, enigmatic films I think I've ever seen in my life. Now, is that a bad thing? No, there's nothing wrong with making enigmatic movies. But um, do I enjoy them? So far, no. You know what word best describes Antonioni's movies? Ennui. E-N-N-U-I. Ennui translates to a feeling, this is from Google, a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. 
basically, from what I've seen so far of Antonioni's movies, the characters are typically not very likable, depressed, lost, aloof, and boring. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. That's what his movies really are like. Uh, Le Clisse, which came out in 1962, uh, it's a black and white Italian movie. It stars Monica Vitti, who was, uh, she passed away just recently in 2022. Uh, she was in a lot of Antonioni movies. It's a beautiful actress. I tried my best to really try to understand it because it is, I'm using the word again, enigmatic. It is. It's an enigmatic movie. I tried my best, but I hate to say it, I was just bored. I love movies that make me think, but this movie, I just like, I don't like it when I can't understand the movie that badly that I just have to Google what the hell did I just watch. But I mean, I had to do that for uh, this movie and another one of his movies that's going to be in later episodes. I don't really get it. And you know, I'm going to read the synopsis of this and it's going to, it's, <laughs> I might laugh. I might chuckle because even just reading the synopsis, even when I was reading it, I was like, what? So, you know what? We'll see how this goes. Maybe I'll understand it better by the end. And then I'll look back at this and go, what was I thinking? So let's get started. Plot synops. This plot synopsis, I'm sorry, I just got loud. This plot synops, <laughs> I get excited when I talk. I can't help it. This plot synopsis is brought to you uh, by Wikipedia, the greatest site in the history of sites. And yes, I did. I saw this movie a while ago and I just skimmed through it again and I read the synopsis and it is accurate. So here we go. It is a Monday in July of 1961. It is dawn. There is a woman. Her name is Vittoria, played by Monica Vitti. She's a young literary translator and she's ending her relationship with this man named Ricardo in his apartment in this residential district of Rome. This whole movie was filmed in Rome, by the way. You'll see. Uh, following a long night of conversation, Ricardo tries to persuade her to stay, but she tells him she no longer loves him and leaves. As she walks the, the deserted early morning streets past the EUR tower, EUR is um, just a district in Rome. As she walks past the tower, Ricardo catches up and walks with her through a wooded area to her apartment building where they say their final goodbyes. This is a 20 minute sequence. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll explain again. Uh, yes, okay. Sometime later, Vittoria visits her mother at the frantic Rome Stock Exchange, which is very busy upon Vittoria's entrance. There's a young stockbroker named Piero, played by French actor Alain Delon, who was still alive, born in 1935 and still alive, and he was this big uh, sex symbol, you know, hot guy back in the day. Uh, she overhears this guy, his name's Piero, uh, uh, she hears this inside tip, rushes to purchase the stocks, and then she sells them. No, I'm sorry. Piero rushes to purchase the stocks, and then he sells them at a large profit. He introduces himself to Vittoria. He's her mother's stockbroker, as we find out. And following the announcement of a colleague's fatal heart attack in a moment of silence, the room erupts back into frenzied activity. Outside the building, Vittoria and her mother walk to an open market nearby. Vittoria attempts to discuss her own recent breakup, but her mother is preoccupied with her earned profits. That evening, Vittoria's neighbor, Anita, comes to visit and they... Oh, the scene was gross. Just, like, racist and gross. Comes to visit and they discuss the former's breakup. I'll explain why. Vittoria says she is depressed, disgusted, and confused. Another neighbor, Marta, calls and invites them to her apartment nearby. 
They drink a little bit, and Marta talks about the farm she and her husband have in Kenya. For a game, Vittoria dresses up as an African dancer with dark makeup and dances around the apartment. Yep, you heard that right. Marta, unamused, asks her to stop, but the conversation turns sour as Marta, who is a colonialist, worries about quote-unquote monkeys arming themselves and threatening the minority whites. I roll, I roll, I roll. Vittoria, and it's just a character, but I mean, there's, yeah. Anyway, uh, Vittoria and Anita dismiss such talk. When Marta's dog Zeus gets free of the house, the women run after him. Vittoria is fascinated by the sound of the fencing in the wind. Back in her apartment, Ricardo calls for her, but she hides and doesn't answer. Mm-mm, she does not want him back. Poor Ricardo. He's pretty boring, though. The next day, Vittoria and Anita fly to Verona in a small airplane. On the way, Vittoria is fascinated by the clouds. At the airport, she watches the airplanes taking off and landing with childlike wonder. It's so nice here, she tells Anita. Meanwhile, back at the Rome Stock Exchange, Piero is busy making trades. Vittoria arrives at the stock exchange and learns that her mother lost about 10 million lira, which is the currency, uh, was the currency, I think. Is it still the currency? Hold on, pause. Oh yeah, it was the currency. I don't know. I've never been to Italy. Another man, she finds out, uh, uh, Vittoria finds out that another man lost 50 million lira. She follows him through the crowded streets to a small cafe where she sees him drawing flowers on a small piece of paper and drinking mineral water. Uh, she, I went like Delco there, water. She meets Piero and he drives her to her mother's apartment in his Alfa Romeo Giulietta sports car. So he's a rich guy, uh, obviously. Uh, she shows him framed family pictures and her room growing up. Piero tries to kiss her, but she avoids his past. Piero drives back to his office on Via Po, Via po near Via Salaria, irrelevant, I think, where he must break the bad news to his investors. After work outside his office, Piero meets with a call girl he previously arranged to meet, but is, disappoint but is disappointed that she recently changed her hair color from blonde to brunette. Deciding not to go with her, he drives to Vittoria's apartment and stands outside her window. Ouch. Yeah, that's it's a real dick move there. He hears her typing. After a drunk walks by and notices Vittoria at the window, Piero comes over. While they're talking, the drunk steals Piero's sports car the next morning. Oh, this gets dark. Piero and Vittoria arrive at the crash site where the drunk drove the car into a lake. She watches as they pull the car with the body from the water, and it's really sad. As they walk away, Vittoria is surprised that Piero is concerned about the dents and the motor rather than the dead man. Sky isn't very nice, obviously. So they enjoy uh, Vittoria, excuse me, Vittoria and Piero, they enjoy a playful walk through a park. When they reach her building, she unties a balloon from a carriage and calling to her uh, friend Marta from the party earlier, tells her to shoot the balloon with her rifle. Because Marta, remember, uh, she previously has experienced shooting rhinoceroses and elephants in Kenya. <laughs> my god, I had to burp, I'm sorry. Uh, which, um, anyway, Marta does as the balloon ascends into the sky, blah, blah, blah. When they reach her building, uh, Piero kisses Vittoria, but she still seems uneasy. Before she leaves, she drops a piece of wood into a barrel of water. That evening, Vittoria tries to call Piero, but his phone is busy. When she finally reaches him, she does not speak, and he, thinking it's a prank call, yells into the phone and slams down the receiver. The next day, while waiting outside near her house, she looks in the barrel of water and sees the wood is still there. Piero arrives and tells her he bought a new BMW to replace his old car. She asks, asks to go to his place. They walk past a nurse wheeling a young girl in a baby carriage. All these little details, I mean, again, I know I'm giving a lot of ridiculous details that even I don't understand, but, uh, you know, 
bear with me. Almost done. Piero takes her, uh, takes Vittoria to her, his parents' apartment, which is filled with all this art and sculpture. And as they talk, she seems nervous and unwilling to open up to him. She tells him two people shouldn't know each other too well if they want to fall in love, but then maybe they shouldn't fall in love at all. That's sad. Uh, they converse playfully, kiss each other through a glass window. That's a great shot. And then kiss passionately. After he accidentally tears her dress, she goes into a bedroom and looks at the old family pictures. At the window, she looks down to the street where she sees two nuns walking, some people talking at a cafe, a lone soldier standing on a corner waiting. Piero comes to the bedroom and they make love. Wow. Sometime later, uh, Piero and Vittoria are lying on a hill looking up at the sky. He looks around and says, I feel like I'm in a foreign country. She says that's how she feels around him. He gets upset when he doesn't understand what she's feeling. She says, I wish I didn't love you or that I loved you much more. Sometime later at his office, the two of them kiss and playfully embrace on the couch. They even wrestle on the floor like children. When an alarm goes off, they prepare to part. They embrace and talk of seeing each other every day. They agree to meet that evening at 8 p.m. at the quote-unquote usual place near her apartment, where they've been, you know, meeting up many times already. That evening, on <laughs> Sunday, September 10th, 1961, neither shows up at the appointed meeting place. The end. Arrivati là ti do un bacio. Okay, so what does it all mean? What does it all signify? The thing I got from this movie, it's like I said at the beginning, everybody is, I, I feel like what Antonioni is trying to say in this movie is that everybody sucks. Like, plain and simple. Everybody sucks. Everybody is greedy. Everybody loves money. Everybody loves to break up with their uh, people and have affairs and be assholes to prostitutes and and not care about when people die and just care about, you know, consumerism and materialism more and big cars and all that. That is what I got from this movie. I like that. Um, it's bleak. It's very, very bleak. It's very depressing. Uh, it's very true, though, that this is life. It's not all sunshines and, and rainbows. There are a lot of assholes in this uh, on this planet. My issue with Le Clisse is the pacing. This is a two-hour movie that could have been an hour and a half long. I don't know why a breakup needs to be 20 minutes long. I don't know why a Rome stock exchange sequence needs to be 20 minutes long, but really feel like an hour long. You know, it's like Antonioni, he loves to keep his camera as still as possible and just capture the chaos and capture everything, capture the madness, capture the depravity, 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 depravity. I don't know. Capture all of it and, you know, show how life really is. Again, I get that. I understand it, but I don't find it entertaining. I don't find it really all that memorable. And I just was left with this movie scratching my head more than being like, wow, I am, I am moved. I am so shaken by this. You know, the ending of this movie is very, very famous and that, you know, they agree to meet up and then they don't meet up at the end. And then for like five minutes, it feels like Antonioni just basically films all of these different 
there are all these different shots of these neighborhoods in Rome and pedestrians and random people. And all you hear is just nothing. It's just silence. There, there's no like dialogue or anything. You just literally hear some chitter chatter and some, some noises and bangs and like, you know, cars going by. I found, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. I, I, cause that scene also, I just, his movies, I watched another one of his movie where it kind of ends the same way. It just ends. And you are just literally me. That is when I say you, I am just so confused by it. I found uh, on BFI, British Film Institute's Sight and Sound website, that um, this is what they said about the ending, and I think more so what the movie is trying to say. If Antonioni is playing with the idea of the cyclical of circularity, it is not glibly, all right, I don't know what that means, it is not so much that history repeats itself as that there are also is that there are also those other stories, the t- stories, the tale we've been watching is just one of them. And one that's determined by factors beyond the immediately personal. So I get that a little bit. I think the purpose of that shot at the very end, showing all the other random people is that he's trying to say, this is what you just witnessed between Vittoria and, uh, what's his name? Pierogi. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Piero. They're just one story. And there's probably a lot of other damaged, really depressed, unhappy, uh, emotionless, hates a smile, scowling people out there in the universe. Now, like, does this justify what we've all just watched? Would I ever want to see like a sequel to Lake Lise or, you know, something like it? No, not really. So I think overall in general, my review is a very different movie, a very artistic movie A movie that, this is a movie that, you know, has a lot to say, but I think it's just so dragged out that it becomes unwatchable in a way. I don't care that that characters are unlikable in any movie. I really don't mind that Um, if they're, you know, fictitious, of course. But this one, I think the point Antonioni was trying to say, it just could have been said so much quicker and maybe just a little bit a little bit better I don't know it's it's like one big theme this whole movie and that's it and it's two hours of that theme everybody's an asshole that's kind of what I got from this movie but you know what I'd recommend it it is a very famous movie and his other movies La Ventura and La Notte you know they're part of this trilogy I know Martin Scorsese like loves this movie and um well anyway that's a good segue let me get into uh what is that? Behind the scenes, secrets and scandals. Wait, let me say that again. BTS, secrets and scandals. And let me say it again, again. BTS, secrets and scandals. So, like I said, uh, Le Clisse was filmed entirely in Rome. It premiered in Milan in 1962. It also was shown at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow, that is an old festival. That's pretty amazing. And uh, the movie was not very uh, well, what am I trying to say? It was not financially received well when it came out, except for in Japan. Why Japan? I have no idea. And you know what? People don't really know either. It is just very popular over there. To this day, it's still very popular. There's a lot of imagery in this movie uh, of, uh, you know, VT and um, I forget his name, Alain, the French guy, you know, them caressing. There are a lot of, you know, images of them that really resonate with with people in Japan, apparently. So that's interesting. 
to prep for this movie, Antonioni traveled. Okay, this is actually interesting. So he traveled to Florence to film before this movie was even made. He just needed some inspiration. He went to Florence to film an actual solar eclipse. He said of this experience, there was a silence different from all other silences, an ashen light and then darkness, total stillness. I thought that during an eclipse, even our feelings stop. Out of this came part of the idea for Le Clisse. First of all, isn't it dangerous to look at an eclipse? Won't you like go blind? Like even during the Twilight Saga eclipse, I was like, well, when's the eclipse going to happen? Am I going to go blind? I mean, seriously. So, I mean, good for, it's brave of him. It's kind of like when Trump looked at the eclipse and everybody was like, is he going to go blind? All right, I'll shut up now. Um, I like eclipses. Eclipses are really cool. So that is um, definitely matches the style of this movie. The entire movie is pretty much like watching an eclipse because the movie is very still. It is very dark. It is very silent. Uh, this was also the last black and white movie Antonioni ever made. Uh, he was um, Laventor and La Notte are also filmed in black and white. The cinematography too is very well in this too. That is another thing that I did like about the movie. Some U.S. exhibitors were so perplexed by the non-verbal long ending that they simply chopped off the last seven minutes. Minutes, excuse me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not alone. This movie and that ending especially. See, the ending didn't really bother me. It was more the first uh, 120 minutes that bothered me more. Uh, the Roman stock market scenes, scenes were filmed on Sundays uh, and when the market was closed, and real brokers were actually drafted to make the scenes more convincing. Those scenes are very, very chaotic, and I get it. Again, they add to the message I think Antonioni's trying to make, which is that um, it's, it's two things. It's like modernism, and it is also greed. It's also money, you know? And what he's trying to say, I think, it, the fact that every these guys in these... Uh, suits are just going batshit crazy and they're losing money and they're betting money. I don't know how stocks work. I do. My dad tries to tell me and I is like going through one ear and out the other. So I'm not even going to begin to explain it, but yeah, those were real people. I don't ever want to go to a, a, a place like that. Hell no. At my um, last internship years ago, I worked with someone who used to work in a stock exchange place, and she said it's uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. That's like real. Like that's what it's actually like. It is absolutely insane. You can get murdered there. Ooh, good plug. Fair play. Netflix movie, similar uh, setting, but better movie in my opinion. Watch that. It came out last year. The best moment. Oof. Um. Okay. I didn't really have a favorite moment. I had a favorite shot in this movie. I mentioned it briefly, but there, you know, uh, yeah. Okay, so it's the shot, and I sound like a pervert when I say this because in the last movie, it was also the shot where they the characters kiss. But in this movie, there's a shot where they kiss through a glass window, and it's like this quick moment, and it's very interesting. Yeah, the imagery in this movie and in a lot of Antonioni movies it's very, very bizarre. It is like watching really ill people act like children, but they make it like children don't even act that way either. It's so bizarre. It, these movies, his movies, I like, look, kudos to him because I am speechless when it comes to his movies and the, and the, the way I try to explain how the characters act. It's so bizarre. But anyway, that shot stuck with me. It's a cool shot. Mais est-ce que je suis d'accord avec les critiques de ce film? 
So, surprisingly, I did a lot of research, and yes, this movie is actually a little bit divisive. Now, the majority of critics absolutely love it, and they, they eat it for dinner, you know, I mean, but there, uh, there are a few, though, that I kind of agree with and kind of say what I say. So, first of all, the people that loved it, Penelope Houston of Sight and Sound, in Le Clisse, juxtaposition has become fusion. The two landscapes are made one, the visual imagery and the mental imagery effortlessly, 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 Jesus Christ, interlock. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I do agree that mental imagery is a huge theme in this movie because the entire time it's like you're watching uh, uh, Vittoria's personality on screen, which is, you know, a sad personality because she's a very unhappy person. Uh, David Jenkins, writing for Little White Lies, writes that uh, Le Clisse is an exhilarating slow dance of not not quite colliding bodies. Yes, agreed. Tom Huddleston, not Hiddleston, Huddleston of Time Out says that the movie retains a bleak and dreamlike tone that you won't find anywhere else. That I 100% agree with. Dreamlike is a big part of Antonioni's movies. Do I love it though? Not really. Uh, Tom Dawson of The List said the plot is minimal. What's remarkable here is how the formalist Antonioni creates and maintains the atmosphere of alienation, finding visual correlatives, why can't I say that word? Correlatives for his character's psychological states. Agreed. You see, these critics, they say it so much better than I do. That's why I love critics most of the time, uh, unless I disagree with them and for a movie that I really love that they hate, but we won't go there. Now, anyway, as for some people who are a little negative about the movie, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times said, All there is to the drama, a prolonged, detailed illustration of the moody surrender of the woman to a rare and elusive love. This takes, for its full illumination, a few minutes over two hours. Yes. Yes, Bosley. Yes. And this was my issue with the movie. In addition, Dwight McDonald of Esquire magazine said... It seems to me an almost complete failure. Ouch. I say almost because there were perhaps 20 minutes in which some life breathes. I can think of no such sudden collapse of a major talent. Okay, I'm not going to be that harsh about this movie also because I haven't seen all of Antonioni's films. But I do have to say, though, yes, there are at least 20 minutes of this movie that is riveting. You know, the stock market scenes... Our, the first moment, the first sequence, it is riveting. The breakup scene is not riveting. And I hate to say all the other uh, sequences involving the lead characters, I did not find them riveting. I just found them very repetitive and redundant and slow. But I think that's kind of the disappointment. Th- that's why I was disappointed with this movie, because it could have been so much better, in my opinion. And, you know, I hate to say it. I, I think this is a movie that... I have slept on it. I saw this a while ago and I I skimmed through it again. Even if I try to sit through it again, even if I'm in a crowded theater, I don't know if I'm really going to like it again. I hate to say it. Sorry. Is it really one of the best movies of all time? No, I don't think it's one of the best movies of all time, but it is definitely, I'm not going to hate on this movie. I don't hate this movie. I just was very bored by it. It's not one of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion, but it is one of the most mysterious movies of all time. Now, you will find this movie pretentious and superficial, or you will find it to be a masterpiece in filmmaking. You decide. 
you decide. I will leave it at that, and I will say thank you for tuning in and listening to this, this latest episode of I'm Reviewing Here. And um, I just want to say one final thing, uh, which is... Support your local theater. Get off your ass and go to the movie theater, okay? Movie theaters almost shut down permanently and indefinitely during COVID, okay? So I don't want to hear, oh, I'm busy or I'm lazy. If you're busy with work, I'll do your work for you, okay? DM me, all right? All right, <laughs> that's all. I just had to get it off my chest. Bye-bye. you made it you made it you made it thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of i'm reviewing here new episodes drop tuesdays and fridays you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts feel free to follow me on instagram at i'm reviewing here you can also subscribe on youtube new episodes drop there the same day they drop on the podcast don't forget to subscribe please leave a review if you'd like be mean be nice hit on me i don't really care candor really really is important to me and you know it helps the podcast too so uh, i really hope you enjoyed it this podcast is brought to you especially by nervous chuckles that is my fake production company because i make people nervously chuckle all the time because they never know if i'm telling a joke or not so they're always like <laughs> oh do i laugh do i not laugh is he serious is he insane did he get out of the, the loony what's going on so if i made you nervously chuckle then that means that i did my job and thank you there is uh, no funding for this podcast, but if you want to give me money, then uh, yeah, like hit me up. DM me. Bye-bye.